Today, uh, why don't you open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We've been going through this series uh, on and off for a few weeks now, months. And we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. I want to read. I want to make sure you have at least the thoughts that are in there. I've titled the message, um, Mother's Day in Thyatira just so you had an idea of where we're going. Revelation chapter 2, it says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality." Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are... In Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Today's a special day. Today's a day that we get to thank our mothers for what they've done. Some of us don't have mothers around anymore. Some of our mothers may not even be in the area, but it's still a very special day. It's called Mother's Day. And as the Lord has orchestrated it, we are privileged, and that's the way I look at it, privileged to be able to talk about uh, uh, some of about mothers here. We're able to talk about a special woman. A special woman, not because she followed the Word of God, because she was anti-Word of God. I, w- I would even call her the anti-model of Mother's Day, if you don't mind. But yes... She has many children. She has many children today, too. They flourish. They're still in the church in some cases. She is famous, but she's famous not for good things, this Jezebel. Let's give a little background of this infamous, infamous woman from the, script, from the Old Testament. We're not going to go back there. We're just going to give you a little bit. Jezebel married Ahab. She did that in 1 Kings 16.31. She was a promoter right from the beginning of false worship. Ahab joined her in the worship of Baal. She is the woman who had 450 prophets. You may remember the story of Baal. They went up against Elijah. She also is known as one who killed prophets of God. In 1 Kings 18.13, it says this, Has it not been told to my master that I did what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? So we know what she does. She's a murderer. She's a killer of the prophets. Jezebel opposed God's anointed prophet. We see that in 1 Kings 18, 19. It says there, then, uh, Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel. And I've been up on Mount Carmel, and, and it's a beautiful sight to be able to look over this valley uh, of Armageddon. Um, well, it will be Armageddon together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So they were close to her, and these are false teachers, false prophets. That battle went on 
with Elijah as directed by God being the victor, one against all of these others. Jezebel was a fine lady, though, as she went after Naboth, a, a neighbor, and she took his life so that she could take his garden. That's a really fine person. First Kings 2.21 tells you about that. This is not the Mother's Day message any woman would want to hear. I'm sorry. Mothers out there, this is not what you really want to hear. This is not a, a woman you want to emulate. This is not a woman you want to follow. This is not what you want on your tombstone. I follow Jezebel. Jezebel was at war. But Jezebel was at war with God. She only wanted her way. And she wanted her way all the time. No Christian mother only wants things their way. Right, ladies? Say amen. Amen. Oh, um, yeah. I to say hear a whole lot of amens there. Isn't it nice to get things our way? I'm for anybody. But you know what? Maybe that's not what God wants for us. Maybe he wants us to learn through not getting our way. Something to keep in mind. You see, this woman preferred to have things her way, not God's way. What we learn from the story of Jezebel is that inevitably, each individual will receive reward or punishment based on their actions. That's what happens. You see, you're called by Christ. He gives you the gift of faith. And then he says, follow me. Deny yourself. And so you either make that decision or you say, no, I really, I want to not deny myself. I want to do what I want to do. But as before, and are going through these lessons here of the cities, there are seven characteristics or seven elements of this letter to the city of Thyatira. So keep that in mind. The first element, this is the outline here, the first element we shall look at is the address. I think it's best to give you a little background on the city and the environs of Thyatira. This letter to Thyatira is the longest of the letters. Can you imagine that? The longest of the letters, and they got this person in the middle of it. Longest of the letters that are written to the churches. Thyatira was also the smallest of the towns that are addressed in this apocalypse. This particular city was known for its production of cloth. Folks, my first job, my first major job, I sold fabric. I sold fabric to hotels, motels, hospitals, office buildings, but I did through architects and, and interior designers and all that. So I know a little about fabric. If you knew me before I came on staff, my whole garage was full of fabric because those were my samples to bring to customers. So I know a little bit about what's going on here, but when I was reading the Bible, probably for the first time, and I ran across this lady, her name was Lydia, turn to Acts 16. I went, oh, she and I are in the same business. Acts 16, 14. And Lydia is being described here in Acts 16, 14. And it says of her, it says, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, the same city that we're talking about here, a seller of purple fabrics. By the way, I sold all colors. <laughs> I just wanted you to buy them. By the way, uh, just so you know, it wasn't just about making money, but once I became a believer, it was about me telling people about Jesus Christ. A seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, that's what she was. That's the most important thing about her. A worshiper of God was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, you can ask for anything you want to have a person who's listening to you to have their heart open to the things of God. Are you willing to listen? So this gives us a little bit of background uh, of this city of Thyatira. While this was a small town, folks, it was a prosperous town. As a matter of fact, it was the smallest of the seven cities that um, uh, John is writing to or Jesus is writing to. This city was positioned in the major trade routes between the other cities and grew financially because of that. It was in the business of trade. That's how it made its business. The trade guilds were where the business was conducted. This is where opportunities to worship false gods through drinking and debauchery. You see, if you're in the trade guild, you had to sign in for everything. 
part of the trade guild was that you worshipped a false god. It, it, it's almost sometimes like some of the things that we may get involved in, in, in unions or those kinds of things. You have to worship something that you really don't believe in. I've had people in unions come to me and say, why do I um, need to follow the union? Okay, and so you have those kinds of things. But here, it's not just worship this false god, but then participate in the actual worship in drinking and debauchery. If you were not a participant, guess what? You were not likely to enjoy a good amount of work there. You would probably not have a good amount of business there. People probably would not like you and, and not trade with you, and so therefore you would not be in business for very long. It was important to be a member and to do what everyone else did in the trade guild, and that was to worship false gods. The trade guilds were an absolute necessity if you wanted to stay in business, if you were desiring to do business in that area. Whether you were a buyer of the products or a seller of the products, you needed to belong to the trade guild. You can't get around it, folks. Remember, this is the smallest of the cities. So everybody knew whether you were truly worshiping in the trade guild. The trade guild had their own pagan gods, and, and they worshiped them, and they, they had their own buildings to do these things and did their work there, and it was always dedicated to those false gods. If you did not worship with them, you did not do business. I believe today we still have some of those segments around in our society. The, the angel of Thyatira, though, is the messenger, if we remember what I've said in the past, is the messenger of the people for Thyatira, was known by the people of Thyatira, and was specifically chosen by John and Jesus to go there because he was going to go to Thyatira. And each of those men who went to the specific cities were known by those cities. He was a representative man, maybe in the leadership of the church that was there. And he went there, and guess what? He read the letter to them. He took his time and, and read this to them. So there is a, a separate individual for each church because the, the grammar actually indicates that. Uh, they are individuals who are, um, are intimate with the church they represent. What I believe happened is that seven different men from uh, the area that uh, John chose, he commissioned them and sent them to, their, to these churches. What does Jesus say to this representative of Thyatira? Listen to this, verse 18. The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. The attribute is this very magnificent, very majestic description of Jesus. The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire. Peter, back in Matthew chapter 16, why don't you turn there with me? Matthew chapter 16, also recognized Jesus as the Son of God. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 16 and 17, he says this, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So he recognized him as the Son of God. Now, it's not only him, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Paul does the same thing. And Paul says this, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So both of them recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. But there's one place in the Scriptures where the Son of God is used over and over and over and over again. And guess what? That is the Gospel of John. John says it multiple times. I'm just going to give you a few of these so you can get an idea of what was said. In John 1.34, John the Baptist says that Jesus is the Son of God. In John 1.49, Nathanael says that Jesus is the Son of God. You see it again in 3.18, 5.25, 10.36, 11, 
4. And then in 1127, Martha recognizes Jesus as the Son of God. So he most certainly was the Son of God. And now here's the coup de grace, and I'd like you to turn there to John chapter 20. I believe this is the coup de grace. I think we, we have to recognize it because of what it is saying here. And uh, in John 20, 31, 20, 31, John says this, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And here's the most important part. And that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, that's the only way to have life. Only way to have life is have it in his name. I want to give you an example. I had a counseling session with this husband and wife. They came in, and I asked them for their testimony. The, the wife gave me her testimony, uh, and, and it wasn't so good, you know. And then the husband gave his testimony, and he said at the end, I'm a Christian, but I just don't believe that Jesus is God. I said, well, I know you're not a Christian. I don't know about your wife yet, but I know you're not. He, didn't, he got insulted by that. Why would you get insulted? Of course you would get insulted. He got insulted, and then weeks I began to present the gospel to him out of the gospel of John. Eventually, I had the privilege of baptizing him six months later. The Lord had a work going on there. They had a problem in their marriage. Why? To bring them in to get counsel to be able to get saved. That's what you have to think of, what God is doing there. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if there's anybody out there who doesn't believe that, come see me. Come see me. It's the most important thing you'll do. I don't care if it's Mother's Day or not. It's the most important thing that you can do. So this is a declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's basically saying he is divine. It's basically saying that he's one in essence with the Father. There's no difference between them. Whether these words are used to get the attention of the Jewish population or the pagans who thought Caesar was God, they thought Apollo was God, they nevertheless announce Jesus is being more magnificent, more majestic as any of those lesser beings. That's what he's trying to point out here. He is more magnificent than those other so-called gods, small g. What does he have? Why would they say that he's more magnificent? Look at this. He has eyes like a flame of fire. Uh, You ever have that person who looks at you deeply? You wonder if there's a flame of fire behind them sometimes. They're looking at you. These eyes reach into the most hidden crevices of the mind. That's what it's saying about Jesus here. He looks deeply into you. He's not just taking the outer person. He's looking deeply into you. These eyes expose the hiddenness of sin. He knows right where to look for it. These eyes are are searching the thoughts even of mankind. And he knows them. Uh, We're going to jump ahead here to verse 23 in in, uh, Revelation uh, 2. And it says, And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who, what? Searches the minds and hearts. That's what he does. Folks, we have sin that we actually do something, and we have sin that we actually think something. They're both sin. And Jesus even knows the thinking of it. He even knows the contemplation of it. You know what? That's the warning that we have as believers to run from it. That should be the the first uh, uh, Corinthians uh, 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. We all have those temptations. And God is faithful and he will make a way through it. You find that way, as soon as that contemplation in your mind comes, you go, I, I got to go somewhere else. It's always good to have a verse handy that can cover whatever that particular thought process is. Because you see, that's where it begins. Sin, outward sin, begins in the heart, the thinking. And it says here that Jesus even knows 
He has eyes that look into the heart, look into the mind. These eyes have penetrating power to see into the falseness of heretical teaching, of course, to see into the falseness of, of attitudes, attitudes of the heart of the false teachers. You know, why is a, a false teacher so nice to you? They're nice to you because they want to win you to their following. Friends, in the coming of Jesus is the victor, and he will be the victor over evil. He is described as having those eyes. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. I love this. Thank you, Lord, for putting this in here. Revelation 19, 11, 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he sat on it, is called faithful and true, and his righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except him. He's coming in victory. He's going to, the end, folks, has already been fixed. Jesus wins. So if you don't know him, get on his team as quickly as you possibly can. The next attribute that's described here of the Savior is, and his feet are like burnished bronze. Some uh, of your translations may say, feet like brass, and, and it's very pure brass. This is a picture of pure dazzling metal, brilliant metal, with no flaws. That's who our God is. And, and when, when I mentioned this before, when we were looking at chapter 1, I said, when you stood or, or were on your knees at a, a throne, you looked up, and that's all you could see of the leader was his feet. And that's what people would see is the, the feet of the, the burnished bronzed feet there. The third element or third characteristic is the approbation. Verse 19, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Sounds really good. Sounds really good. When you have eyes that are like a flame of fire, you can look into the hearts and see the genuineness is that's there. When you have flame of fire eyes, you can look and see if those people are really sincere in their worship. He knows their deeds. And beloved, it is not just he knows the deeds. He knows the motive. He knows the intention behind those deeds. I, I look out, and, and when I'm counseling, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I can't know the motives. I can't know the intentions of this person that's there. I can't make a judgment on them. How do I know? Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce bone and marrow, and able to get to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I don't know what the intentions are of that person. Only the word of God can tell us that, unless you're God. And he has the eyes that can see right into their heart. Jesus says here he knows the kind of deeds, love, faith, service, perseverance. These are wonderful, great deeds. These are God-glorifying deeds. This love mentioned here it is the love that every believer is to have toward God. It is a love that is willing to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Can I say that? On Mother's Day, 2023, the word faith is, here is pistis, which is believe or faith. This is a, a, a gift. It's a gift that's given to us. You can look at Ephesians 2, and we've looked at that before. It, it's, it's given at salvation, that gift of believing. Faith is not something that goes away, though, folks. It is not something that disappears and you may think that you've lost it. Folks, you can't lose that gift. It was given to you by God. You can't reject it if it's been given to you by God. You see, in reality, these folks, if they lost it, really never had it. 
you know, we, we see sometimes where people leave the, the congregation and, and they go away and they don't go to church anymore and they don't love Jesus anymore. First John 2.19, um, it tells us what happens to those folks. And I used to have that memorized, but not anymore. Somebody stole that from my mind. Um, They went out from us because they were never really of us. And they went out from us to show us that they were never really of us. Folks, if you say, oh, my brother lost his faith and my brother is no longer walking with the Lord, your brother never walked with the Lord. Never walked with the Lord. It's an endurance that you have here. So it's faith. Um, when you get that gift, you can't lose it. Um, when you get that gift, you're willing to obey God in all things. So what does love and faith produce? There are two qualities that it produces here. And these next two are qualities of service, or we could put the word ministry there. Some of your Bibles may even have that as a uh, translation. And perseverance, and I, I, I call that endurance. Please note, these qualities are on the increase. Did you hear that? If you are a believer, your quality of ministry, service, is increasing, and your quality of perseverance, endurance, is increasing. What is it? It says here, right in the passage, it says, your deeds of late are greater than at first. There's something more to it. It's not the same. Something is greater than before. The only question is whether their ministry and endurance, now listen to this, are greater in quality or quantity. Whichever it is, though, it is more significant. I don't know which one he's talking about here, but whichever one it is, it is more significant. One thing I do know, that at the end, it's going to be greater than it was at the beginning. I, I can remember when I first got saved. I had no idea what to do. I had no idea where to go. you, you got to hear this. My wife's not here today. She's not feeling well. But we're crossing the street. I, we get parked over in the north lot. Are you here? She is here. (laughs) I guess I have to say it since I already introduced it. I didn't. I'm glad you're here, honey. She was not feeling so well when I woke her up this morning. Um, When we were coming across the street from the north lot, I said to her, if that guy says anything wrong, I'm out of here. Here it is 41 years later. I'm still here. But this is what she said to me. She looked at me and she says, how would you know if he said anything wrong? (laughs) I I just knew this, that if they were hooting and hollering and falling on the floor, I knew it was in the wrong place. That's not me. And that's not where I'm going to go. So that's what's going to increase. You're going to have those love, faith, service, and endurance. The fourth characteristic of this letter, boy, did I get myself in trouble there. (laughs) But it is Mother's Day, and I know there'd be no retribution. (laughs) The fourth characteristic of this letter is the admonition. We see that in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. And it says there, but I have this against you. Uh Uh-oh. I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservant astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. In verse 21, I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. The admonition. What is the admonition? They tolerate Jezebel. They allow that woman into the congregation, not confronting her, not doing church discipline on her, not saying what you're doing is wrong. They allow her to be a teacher of the brethren. And and folks, what that's saying is it's a, a woman teaching men. Not only that, but even if she was a woman just teaching women, 
what she's teaching is wrong. It says, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Not only do they allow this woman to teach the congregation, but as it says here, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. Folks, the moment we hear somebody's teaching something wrong here at Grace Church, the elders of Grace Church are on top of it. What, what are you saying here? What are you teaching here? We're taking them to, to the Word of God to examine and show them what they're teaching is right or wrong. That goes for Bible study leaders. That goes for anybody. But they tolerated it. They let it go. Oh, maybe she'll go away. I don't know what they were thinking. I have no clue. Maybe they just weren't thinking. They tolerate or allow this woman to teach. Using the comparison to Jezebel, who led the people of God in the northern kingdom uh, to worship Baal, is very, very strong. Speculation on what she could have been teaching probably had something to do with the trade guilds. And, and that's uh, all of the different processes of people that uh, have commented on this, have lots of different thoughts about what she was actually teaching. But I think it had something to do with the trade guilds. I think she was telling these people something like this. Look, it's not a big deal. Go there, worship. You know, take, throw a little incense on there. Ah, so they have a party afterwards. You know, you have some little bit of wine, you have a little bit of party and all of this kind of stuff. That's what I think she's saying. Now, how does she get to that part if you're a Christian? Because you know what she does? She says to them, your body and your spirit are two different things. You can sin with your body and you're okay. But you can't sin with your spirit. Folks, how in the world do you bifurcate that? How do you change those kinds of things? That is what I believe she taught. Why? Because she wanted them to compromise. She wanted them to follow her. And I've seen it, folks. When you look at a man's teaching, and a man begins to compromise in his teaching, and he starts to say things like, ah, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Ah, don't, 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 and I, I had a friend of mine go to another church, friend, and he went to a graduate of our seminary. And the seminary graduate said, don't worry about it. And I went, no, no, no. I actually confronted him when he came to a shepherd's conference. And he said, why are you getting all hot under the collar? Well, I'm not hot under the collar. I'm just telling you what you're doing is wrong. What you're telling your people is wrong. Well, guess what? He went and had an adulterous affair. Why do we call it an affair? He, ha he committed adultery. That's what he was doing. He was trying to okay his own sin. He wanted to do whatever it took to get his own sin uh, somehow blessed or overlooked by God. God doesn't overlook sin, folks. He takes care of each and every one. So she probably was teaching that way. She was probably saying to them, you know, in order to survive, you need to give in to those kinds of things. I'm sorry, you don't. I think of so many situations, even in the workforce, where, where things happen and, and you have to give in. I'm sorry, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. That meant they need to participate in the worship of idols. They're offering food to idols. They're participating in the celebration. They're imbibing the wine and the alcohol or whatever it is. And then it eventually gets to complete debauchery. Yeah, you remember some of the descriptions of some of those temples. It was all out prostitution and sex and all over the place. It even curls your hair. What would you con convince good people of God to do? That there would be something that he would tolerate like that? You have to. There is no other way come up with a false doctrine. How do you do that? You have to come up with something that's totally out of the box. That's what she did. Whatever she is teaching is heresy. But on top of that, she leads the people into immorality, which is even worse. Clearly, Jezebel is leading the people of God away from the truth and away from God. As a matter of fact, she leads them into immorality. 
It says there in verse uh, 24, uh, Jesus calls the teachings the deep things of Satan. Uh, Folks, you don't need to go study the deep things of Satan to find that it's wrong. This compromise reminds me of what some churches do today. Sorry to pick on them. They're the ones with the pride flags on the outside and the female preachers on the inside. That's what they are. They've given in to the culture. You know, this is a living book, folks. This is not a dead book. And they say those kinds of things. that It's not, it's not alive. We need to make it alive. We see things different today. Verse 21 Jesus even says, I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. What this tells me is that she knew what she was doing was wrong. She had the opportunity to repent, and she did not. In other words, she liked that more than she wanted to follow Christ. She actually had no problem leading the people of God into sin. And, folks, sin of the grossest kind. First of all, forsaking the worship of God and then getting into these other things. Number five, the fifth characteristic, the admonishment. You see that in verse 22 and 23. Let me read that for you. It says, Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. In verse 23, And I will kill her children with pestilence. I've got to tell you, that's pretty strict church discipline. We, we don't kill anybody around here for your sin. I want you to know we haven't gotten there yet. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Behold, Friends, there is no equivocation here. He, he, he's, it's only threat. That's all it is, is threat. I will throw her on a bed of sickness. Beloved, uh, the use of the word throw her or cast her is in the present tense. It actually gives a certainty to the action. It, it's almost as if it's already happened that he's going to do that. This admonishment is very, very strong. It's as if Jesus is casting the unfaithful on a bed of sickness. Not going to let them get away with it. Why? So that he can inflict suffering. That's what it's about. He, he's going to inflict suffering. The sin of Jezebel was so offensive, so offensive to a holy God, that there is a terrible judgment that will come. It says here, unless, and I, I like this, they repent of her deeds. Do you know what that tells me about my God? Do you know what that tells me about my Lord? He gives you lots of chances to do that. Repent. He's willing to forgive. 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sins, he is willing to forgive your sins. If you repent of your sins, not just confess them. I got to take that back. Repent. Turn from them. He's willing to forgive them. Yes, that's very demanding. You be holy, for I am holy, is what God is saying here. There's a call to repentance, but do not continue in the way of Jezebel. I don't know if anybody turned and, and came back to the Lord and saw their sin. I've had friends that have left the faith. I don't know if they lost the faith or they ever had it, but then I've seen them come back. That's wonderful when that happens. Christ is going to throw Jezebel on a bed of trouble. What it is exactly, we don't know. He's going to give her great tribulation. And verse 23 says, the end of it is going to be death. Today's a social commentator would call this harsh, punitive. The scripture says this in 1 Timothy 2.12. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Jezebel did not. 
And I tell you this one quick little story was uh, in another country. I'm not going to say which country it is. And uh, the pastor who was preaching uh, was the pastor there, asked me to preach for him, and he was standing in the back, and he says, oh, this fellow over here doesn't allow his wife to say a word in the church because of that verse. And he said, I'm going to ask you the question (laughs) when he comes up. And uh, I said, that's not what that means. Ladies, please speak. Oh, I don't think I have to invite you to do that. <laughs> what, what, I, what is said here is not to teach men. Teach children. Teach other women. That should be part of what you are and who you are. But that's not what this says here. Not to exercise authority. Verse 23, And I will kill her children with pestilence. Again, that's pretty incredible church discipline. My dear friend, Dr. Thomas, and I think I've used his name every time I've taught through the Revelation, said these are probably the children of Jezebel. And so I said, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Maybe physically, but certainly spiritually. Maybe physically, but certainly spiritually. While the adultery mentioned here may not be physical adultery, it surely is spiritual adultery. Folks, those who participate with her, those who get involved with her, those are the ones who are committing adultery. They will have great tribulation. It'll be horrible if you join that kind of a person. Unfaithfulness gives the idea that there were at one time within the church and now have checked out because of the sinful ways of Jezebel. They followed her. Beloved, we have a choice every day, don't we? Do I listen, adhere to the things of the world, or do I listen and adhere to the things of God? We have that every day. I have it, just like you, no different. Do I want the word of life, or do I want to listen to the word of death? Do I listen to false teachers or do I listen to life-giving word of God? The Lord Jesus Christ has these penetrating eyes like a flame of fire. Those eyes are seen here again in verse 23. He searches the minds and the hearts and will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Even your thinking. That's scary. Jeremiah 17.10 says this, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. He's first going to hear, going to see. So far, we've looked at the address, the attribute, the approbation, the admonition, the admonishment, and now the appeal. We see that in verses 24 and 25. It says there, But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who have not known the things of Satan, as they call them, the deep things of Satan, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. These are the faithful folks. These are different people. These these are not the followers of Jezebel. But I say to the rest, it's a different group. These are not the folks that are following Jezebel. They are hearing this appeal to keep fervent in the faith. And folks, that's what you hear every Sunday here. Keep fervent in the faith. Keep following him. Friends, could you imagine being in one of those compromising churches? I got a call from a lady in Louisiana 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And she was telling me that there wasn't a church in her area that she and her husband had to drive three hours to find a church where the gospel was taught. And after a few conversations, she invited me down to Louisiana. And I said, I don't speak that kind of language. (laughs) But folks, imagine being in that compromising church. I'm going to say some of you have been in that kind of compromising church, and, and your heart just aches for being in that kind of church. When are they going to start? When, when, when are they going to start preaching the real gospel? 
Jezebel was teaching the deep things of Satan, not the deep things of God. Jezebel probably thought that these are things that they do not know and that they ought to know. Oh, they never heard of this. I need to teach them. You know, folks, this started a long time ago. Back in the book of Genesis, Satan speaking to Eve there, he said this, Indeed has God said, bringing doubt on God. Bringing doubt on God's word. He's done it from the beginning. He wants you to question it. He wants you to say, I, I don't believe, I don't know. I, and, and he just wants you to be doubtful. Maybe you'll turn somewhere else. But what does Jesus say? He says, hold fast. Hold fast to the things of God. Not to the things of Satan for sure. And so he commends those who are not compromising. And that day will come when we will hear glorious words from our Savior. Hold fast is a very strong Greek exhortation. It will not be easy, but make every God-blessed effort to withstand the temptations of Jezebel's com compromise. Uh, since the time is fleeting away, who did that? Rush the clock. Oh, we'll go by that one. It's a little bit slower. <laughs> <clears throat> the last element in this letter is the affirmation. We see that in verses 26 through 29. Um, we'll read that later if we have time. And it starts there, he who overcomes. Isn't that great? He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end. Folks, can I say this? Christianity is not an easy believism religion. It's not just, hey, whatever you, you know, come on whenever you feel like it, all of those kinds of things. The faithful in Thyatira is the one who keeps the works of God before him. He and she live, uh, and I mean that by two different people, okay, not by being compromised, live an obedient life to the end. You either do or you don't. That's what the believer does. Don't get me wrong. This is not absolute obedience, and some people come up to me and say, oh, so I have to be uh, uh, completely obedient? No, because nobody's completely obedient but Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's our example. It's our trajectory. It's our, our direction. That's what we need to be looking at. There are two rewards here. For those who obey the Lord, the first is in verse 26, to him I will give authority over the nations. I, that's what he's going to do. With Christ in the millennial kingdom, we will have authority over the nations, over all people. Second one is found in verse 28, I will give him the morning star. Believers will be with Jesus Christ ruling as per Bob Thomas, this is the body of believers who take the glory of redemption and shine as a star in the morning when stars are viewed in their, at their brightest. So does anybody here get up at four in the morning and see the star? They're the brightest then. Matthew 13, 43 says this. It gives us a little bit more light to this. It says, then the righteousness will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has an ear, let him hear. That phrase is used so often. You see, that is to remind us we have to have ears to hear. If we just let it go by, if we don't pay attention to it, if we don't obey it, there's going to be consequences. Verse 29 says the same thing. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What an exhortation, folks. What a wake-up call for this church. Somebody wondered why this, he who has an ear, is it a last thing, because this is the only time that it's mentioned there, and he speculates it's a last because it's the least church, the smallest church. Beloved, in the end, we will reflect Christ's glory. 
we will have been purchased by him and given to him. Please, do not celebrate um, Mother's Day with Jezebel, mother of corruption, the mother of rebellion, the mother of murder, the mother of false teaching, the mother of sin, the mother of evildoers. Follow Christ. I'm going to read this one last verse and then we will give you time to go. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Paul says this to that church in Corinth, a church which had a lot of trouble. He says, as for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Jesus Christ fully knows you, folks. He knows you down to your deepest roots. He knows everything that's happened to you when you were little, all the things that hurt you and formed you as you were growing up. And you know what? He still loved you. He still died for your sins. Make sure that you're embracing the cross every single day. Run to the cross every single day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy for each and every one of us. Lord God, for all that you do in us, continue to grow us to be the people of God that you want us to be. Lord, so much more could have been said. So much more should be said. May these folks continue to read your word, study your word, meditate upon your word, memorize your word, because that's where the truth is, and that truth will set them free. We pray this in your name. Amen.